0: So we invite ourselves to simply notice how we are, when we are. We invite ourselves to free ourselves, not by trying to be free, but by simply noticing how we imprison ourselves in the very moment, that's the key, in the very moment in which we are imprisoning ourselves. It is that moment where, as Rabbi Koress has said, you walk into the delivery room with your birth plan, You stand on the outside of the door, knowing that the creation that you have created with your own hands is inside, and you knock on the door. You open the door, and you get scared. And you stay in the room. One more time. You stay in the... the room. You breathe. A pattern is appearing, a pattern of mind, a pattern of body, a pattern of inter- subjective interrelational pattern and you stay with the naked truth of it you breathe and give it room to just be the truth there's nothing you can do the situation commands that we stay present the person with whom we are living Some call them wives, husbands, spouses, the person we are living with, our beloved. There's no greater cushion, no greater meditation hall in which to sit than in relationship with a friend, with a parent, with a child, and to see what comes up. And having seen what comes up, Tshuva is being able to play with options. We breathe. And we fully experience what is there and we play with the options. We change for a change. I usually don't speak when I'm pissed off at somebody. I spent two weeks sitting with it and annoyed. I'm not going to be back in good flow with this person. If I were to be vulnerable in that way, they'll take advantage of me. I'm not a shmata. If I pick up the, are you kidding? I always pick up the, no way. We're not sitting down at the peace table until there are pre. In Israel, we call this being a friar. Don't take advantage of me. But when you change for a change, you say, you know what? Now that I can breathe and I have options, now that the charge that I'm feeling is not so overwhelming, now I can make a different choice. Maybe I can make the same choice, but I don't have to. My reactivity is now less habitual. Maybe I'll be the same person, maybe I won't, maybe I'll try something on for a day, a two. We bring awareness to our bodies, to our minds, or to the world around us. At any given moment, there are three places we can place our awareness, either in our body and its present moment experience. We can also notice our minds, and the thoughts and stories that they tell or we can be aware of the world around us. Those are three options. If anybody has another place that they can place their awareness, you should tell Rick Carson. (laughs) And the Buddha. And of all of these, my experience has been that the world of the mind is the most complex. The stories that we tell, the gremlins that we live the habits that we have acquired, all of the strategies of living are there. We become aware of this final piece of his threefold path to freedom, or more happiness. That when we are in process, we recognize that, you know what, life will forever be unfolding and the future always unknown. And when we are in process, we never allow ourselves to imagine that any particular experience, relationship, or event will finally get us there. Now that might be a bit of a Debbie Downer, I'm sorry. What about messianism? Someday someone will come riding in and save us from all of the things that we need to do. Being in process is a recognition of the humility of the path. We're on the path. So, in a moment, we're about to blow the shofar, and as yesterday, I invited us to think of the shofar as a a great truth instrument, that the seeds of truth begin small like the little mouthpiece around the shofar, but then become greater as we acknowledge more and more truth. We don't ever arrive at the truth, quote-unquote, but we get closer. Maybe we know it in our bellies, and then we begin, we begin to tell one person, then two people, then ten people, then we might say it out loud. The truth begins that way, like a little cough. And this morning, I would like for us to imagine the shofar as a truth instrument, not only vis-a-vis our own truths, but the truths that we must share and mirror back to others in the world. If we began the journey on Sunday night, inviting ourselves to think about our own truths, And if I promised you that by Yom Kippur we're going to talk about truth in the larger, broader world, it's impossible for us not to notice today on 9-11 that how we are with those around us, how we react to circumstances and events around us is absolutely vital if we are to undo patterns. Kabir, the great poet, wrote, Are you looking for me? I'm in the next seat my shoulder against yours. You won't find me in stupas or in Indian shrines, in synagogues or in cathedrals. You won't find me in masses or in kirtans or in long high holiday services. You won't find me in yoga postures with legs winding around my neck nor in eating nothing but vegetables. When you really look for me, you will see me instantly. You will find me even in the teeniest house of mine. Kabir says, student, tell me where is God to be found? It is in the breath, inside the breath, in the eyes, behind the eyes of the one who sits beside you. the one who sits beside us and how we might tell them the truth. The first thing that we notice in our desire to tell the truth to the other is we more often than not think about telling the other the truth and not listening to the other's truth. That's okay. But what if we were to imagine that we tell the other the truth by listening to the other's truth what if we were to imagine that this shofar that we are about to sound which is the sound of muffled truths that we don't fulfill the mitzvah of shofar by blowing it but by hearing it by listening to it most of what singing is what would it be like for us to listen to the truths around us. In the same desire, in the same yearning, in the same curiosity, in the same earnestness and sincerity with which we yearn to tell the world our truth. What would that be like? We might hear in the shofar of our friends and our family, not only simple notes that reflect their perfection, their greatness, their achievements, but also broken notes. The shvarim, the truah. The moan, it's hard. It's hard to be a black woman in this culture. It's hard to be someone who works three jobs a day. It's hard to be afraid to walk out of my home. It's hard to step into a synagogue where every figure is a male figure. It's hard to be doubted that you yourself have experienced a violation of your own body at work. It's hard to wake up knowing that the deck is stacked against you. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. What it would be like to hear those truths. My friend, Rabbi Erwin Kula, after the attacks on 9-11 asked this question, he said, what would it have been like if at that moment, instead of beginning a war, Hmm. we had stopped and called for a national day of tshuva, not because we are to blame for the actions of others, God forbid Because we as Jews, even in circumstances where we were absolutely not at fault. We began our reactivity from a place of soul-searching. What if we had gone on a truth and reconciliation journey? Wondering how our actions might or might not have, because it was an inquiry, might or might not be creating a world that we don't want to see. Now, Rabbi Kula was not saying, God forbid for a moment that we had it coming. We Jews know that one well. But he was asking a much more profound question about what it is to do the work that we have been describing. When we look and notice our patterns of reactivity, what might it look like for us to to interrogate our own experience before we respond And so tonight, to this, this afternoon, I'd like to, this morning still, read a piece of poetry that was written to honor not only the day of 9-11, but to be honest about what we have become in its wake. Alas a country once built on the promise of liberty and justice for all now isolates herself from the cries of those seeking safety on her shores built by the hands of refugees and immigrants she chips away at the right to asylum dispensing with founding principles so essential to her DNA. Forgotten are the tired, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Gone is the dream of protection in the face of violence and persecution. Her enemies are now the masters, inhumane executive orders barring Muslims and refugees. Jarringly separating parents from their children, keeping out compassion and decency A wall in that place Lady Liberty weeps at her shuttered gates, mixed multitudes we were when we left me trying now. The world narrows around the 68 million displaced people around the globe. Only God's voice can be heard, bellowing calls to welcome, protect, and love the stranger. Partners were we once in continued redemption. Quiet in the face of moral depravity have we been as citizens reinforced by hateful rhetoric spewed in seats of power. Those self-evident truths that human beings are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, undone by cowardice, malice, and greed. Verily, we know where God dwells amidst this suffering. God is in the eyes of the stranger, of those who flee for their lives. Why then have we forsaken the divine call to love the stranger as we would love ourselves? Xenophobia instead of taking root in our souls. You are the hero for whom you are searching cannot be redeemed if we do not first turn to those amongst us who call out our names as we turn from honesty with ourselves towards honesty with the other let us begin with listening listening to the cries of of those around us who have been silenced for generations. As if we are shocked to hear the latest revelations this year about how men have traditionally behaved in positions of power. As if we are surprised that we are no longer a post-racial society, as if we are surprised having really done the listening for truth and reconciliation that we needed, that there is still more work to be done to save this year's coming list of African-American unarmed young men who will be murdered, as if we are surprised that xenophobia and fear and reactivity towards the other has gripped not only this country but also our homeland, Israel. as we rise in a moment to hear the call of the shofar that instrument of awakening we can imagine turning our attention to simply notice and stay in the room with the truths not only about who we are but also about those around us and what they have to say we have the strength to be better than what we have been we have the strength to stay in the room with truths long buried that need to be resurfaced. We have the strength to seed future truths and irrigate them with courage, irrigate them with love, irrigate them with the power of our commitment to becoming that which we could yet become. This shofar will connect us to Yom Kippur evening. And I invite you in the coming week ahead to write to Romamu to tell us what seeds of truth you will irrigate in the world. What seeds of truth that have been buried must now come and break ground. We need to resurrect the truth. Simply noticing how we imprison ourselves in the moments that we imprison ourselves playing with choice and being in process, knocking on the door, staying in the room, and hello, handsome. (laughs) I invite you to please rise at this moment for the shofar.